You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Greetings. So it's, we're going to do a series break. We've been in this um, series called uh, Restoring the Soul. And once in a while, we break up our, uh, our series and we interject with just kind of a one-off message sometimes, uh, or we have a guest speaker. And so this is a one-off message that uh, is on my heart. Um, there's been a feeling of uh, financial anxiety by a lot of people I've been talking uh, to. Um, some people, I, I, there were just reports that tell us laid off 6,000 people in Canada. Um, there's, you know, the interest rates, inflation, all these things. And so one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because I believe that God has a word of comfort and a word of grace uh, for us. Um, the other thing is I just uh, had felt coming into the year that I wanted to share about something that's part of a life message for me on this area of giving and stewardship. And I wanted to preach a message, something like this, in all of our 11 churches. I also serve not only as a senior pastor here, uh, but also the executive director of our Every Nation churches across Canada. And so I've already preached uh, something like this in a couple of our other churches, our uh, Every Nation church here in uh, Mississauga and uh, slash Scarborough St. Uh, no, what is that? North York. And then also in uh, one of our churches in Calgary just last uh, last month. Um, it's really uh, part of this uh, message is very testimonial. It's kind of personal uh, to me. Uh, just to give you a bit about my background, um, I feel sometimes intimidated to be, uh, you know, speaking on a University of Toronto campus. I don't have a high education like most of you. I come from a very modest family. Uh, my dad was a blue-collar worker. My mom and dad both had high school education, so that, it, that was it. Um, you know, grew up in a pretty modest Canadian home, three-bedroom home with one bathroom, and we had seven kids in our family. And um, mom and dad bought that house for $6,000 and uh, many years ago. <laughs> And uh, I was going to calculate, actually, the payment on it because they had to borrow $500 for the down payment from my grandmother. And uh, at that time, I think interest was 10%, and there were 25-year mortgages. So I don't know, someone who's good at calculations, I think the mortgage payment was around 100, 100 something dollars a month. Um, so I came from modest means. Uh, my mom's side of the family uh, is what's known as Métis, for those of you who know about Canadian indigenous people. There are three indigenous groups. We have our First Nations, our Inuit, and the Métis. The Métis are the early French settlers who married indigenous women and created uh, the, this mixed race, uh, which what Métis means in French is mixed. Uh, if you look on Ancestry.com, uh, it's very derogatory now, but it, if you look back, it says, like some of my you know, ancestors, it just says half-breed which is pretty derogatory and nowadays, but in, in those days, that's what they called us. Um, so part of this is just a testimony. My mom grew up super poor, and they're this French Métis family, nine kids. Uh, my grandfather was not a, a very faithful man. He would take off for years at a time and not provide for the family, and they went to bed hungry many, many times. 
And um, I think that's probably why my mom to this day, she's 95, when as soon as you walk in the door, she just constantly feeds you just food, food. It's like, Mom, the Great Depression is now over. And <laughs> that was in the 1930s and 40s or whenever, 1930s. So let's get into it. Um, I'm going to share from my heart. I'll also say something about this message. There's going to be challenging parts of it uh, to it because um, God, uh, God's very serious about the whole idea of money and possessions and the stewardship that he has placed into each of our hands. So here we go. The blessing of giving. I'm going to talk about three things this morning. First of all is the foundation for giving. Secondly, levels of giving. And then finally, the results uh, from giving. So here we go. First of all, so what is a foundation for giving? Well, first of all, uh, Scripture itself really is the foundation uh, for what I'm about to say and giving. Um, the Bible is actually saturated with verses on money and possessions. I mean, when you think of subjects like love in the Bible or prayer in the Bible, or, you know, have faith or belief in the Bible. Those are big topics, right? But listen to this. 17 of, of, of the 38 parables of Christ, so the Lord Jesus himself, 17 of his 38 parables were on money and possessions. And the topic is actually listed three times more than love, seven times more than prayer, and eight more times more than belief. In fact, uh, I didn't count all the verses. Uh, it was a book I read on this subject. But in the Bible, no less than 2,172 verses are in, deal with money, money and possessions, more than any other topic in the Bible. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, if you took an, a minute to read each verse, you'd be reading for 36 hours and 12 minutes. Uh, from the beginning, starting with Adam and Eve, we see that the principle, we see a principle that God is the owner and we're the managers. And I think, why did God put such an emphasis in Scripture on this topic? And I think it's because he knew that within our sinful nature, we would be tempted to see that we're the owners, that we're the owners, as opposed to everything we have has come from God. And you might say, well, no, I worked hard to get my degree. But who gave you the opportunity to get that degree? It always comes back to God. Um, so let's get going on those 2,172 verses, starting with verse 1. Now, I'm not going to do all <laughs> But let me give you just a few uh, to, to just outline, just, just to give you a taste of how God feels about this topic. Uh, Psalm 50, 10 and 11 says this, For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Here's another one, Haggai 2.8. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. A couple more. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. And finally, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world 
and all who dwell in it. You get a picture, don't you? Just by just a handful of these many, many scriptures, you see God's declaration that I am the creator. I made this. He has a right through creation. He also has a right through redemption because of what he has done. So foundation for giving a summary is this idea that not only is it saturated in Scripture, but this first foundation for giving that we see is this idea that God is the owner. I want you to hear this. If you hear nothing else in this sermon, God is the owner. Our role is the manager. I have heard of a guy who, on his uh, visa and debit card, you know how it has your name embossed at the bottom? Like mine says Albert J. Thompson. Albert's my legal name. Uh, this guy, above that, he put this thing that said, God's managed by, and then the name. So every time he spent, and every time a clerk saw it, they go, what, God's managed by Albert J. Thompson? I don't do this. Maybe I should. I don't know. But I, I, So I'm thinking, like, wow, this is like, what a reinforcement. What a way to, like, think. What a way to uh, remind himself about God being the owner, him being uh, the manager. And so here's a, a summary statement uh, that I came up with. If we believe the word of God that everything we have belongs to the Lord, and if Jesus is the Lord of our lives, then we will acknowledge that God is the owner and we are the managers of the possessions that he has entrusted to us. And the Bible actually declares on the last day when we stand before God, he won't be asking about, you know, did you have an unconfessed sin 30 seconds before you died? You know, and so too bad for you. It won't be that. Christ has died for our, for our sins, past, present, future. But he will be asking a question of stewardship. There will be a stewardship question. There'll be a question something like this. What did you do with what I placed into your hands? What did you do? Not just your money, your education, the gifts that you have, the relationships did you steward your relationships well? Or did you just, you know, go from person to person and, you know, when someone didn't, you know, whatever, tickle your fancy anymore or whatever, or, you know, had a difficulty, did you move or did you persevere in the relationships that God has given? Did you persevere in whatever it is that God has given? There's a stewardship question. There's many uh, parables that Jesus gave about stewardship. We're going to hit one of them at the end of this message. So that's the foundation for giving. Um, Second, I want to talk about levels of giving. I want to talk about four levels of giving, okay? I'm going to talk about tithing. I'm going to talk about offerings. I'm going to talk about sacrificial giving. I'm going to talk about a financial finish line, four levels of giving. So the first one, the first level of giving uh, that we see in, in the Bible is something called the tithe. Many of you know all about this. Tithe means one-tenth. Um, so even people like me who aren't good at math can figure out what that is. Um, and I'm going to give you a verse here on the very first tithe ever given. And it was actually, a lot of people think that the tithe was first given as part of the Mosaic Law. Actually not. It was actually given way hundreds of years before that to Abraham. Here's the instance of the very first uh, tithe ever given to God. And it was after Abraham, he was still named Abram. He hadn't had his name changed to Abraham. And uh, he had had a small war and he was victorious. And then this... Um, uh, 
figure. We call it a theophany in the scripture. It's an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. It was this mystical figure named Melchizedek who showed up. And I'll just read the scripture and you'll see the first tithe given. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out the bread and the wine. You see, it's, a, it's an imagery. We're going to have communion later. It's an imagery of Christ. He was priest of the Most High. He blessed him. And he said, Blessed be Abraham, God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. That's the very first tithe. How he knew to give a tenth, I don't know. It was just revelation. It was just, it was just revealed to him. And then it was actually Abraham's sons also gave a tithe. And so it, was, it wasn't even written in the Mosaic Law, and they were doing this. Uh, later in the Mosaic Law, it was, it was codified that you know, uh, God's people should give uh, 10%. Um, now I'm going to give you the classic verse that you've probably had, heard at offering time or in a church service a million times if you've been in church. Maybe not that many. But it makes me nervous, actually, to read the whole part of it. it you'll notice that most pastors skip the first part of it, and they just go into the good part of it. So I am going to overcome my nerves right now because I said this. I mean, I didn't say this. God said this, not me. So if you get mad right now, you're just going to have to get mad at him because I didn't write this, okay? So, but the first part of the famous tithing verse, we're going to do the whole thing, uh, is uh, uh, Malachi, starting uh, chapter 3, verse 8. And it says this, Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you, God? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I mean, especially that first part, like God says that if we hold back the tithe, we're robbing him. In fact, it doesn't even say give your tithe. It says bring my tithe. That's the concept of it. So the tithe that says goes into the storehouse, which we believe as New Testament believers is the local church, the church that you're a part of, that you belong to. You put your tithe in the church. And also tithing in the Bible isn't just giving back 10% to God, it's actually giving the first tenth. There's tons of scriptures in the Bible that talk about bring your first fruits. Um, Canada had a lot, a lot of agriculture, still does have some, but if you're in, in an agricultural background, when you give your first fruit of the agriculture, not having known whether the rest of the harvest is going to be good or not, it's super risky. Uh, in, in it, how can I translate to like a, a modern vernacular? It might be like this. If we get our paycheck and pay all our bills and happen to have 10% left and we give it, that's not giving a first fruit. 
it's still giving 10%, and, uh, but it's not really a first fruit. It's different when you say, I'm going to give off the top, the first 10, and I'm going to trust God to make it. That's giving a first fruit uh, offering or, or giving a tithe off the top. So here's a question that pastors sometimes get. I've got it, not a lot, but sometimes they'll say this, a question. Isn't tithing just for the Old Testament? Isn't tithing just for the Old Testament? Well, let's see what Jesus said, first of all. Uh, he was talking to a group of Pharisees. The Pharisees were the very religious people of his day. They were the ones who had actually memorized much of the scriptures. They were amazing in, in that. But they were also very, how can we say, they had a lot of justice, but not a lot of mercy. They wanted everything just so, but they didn't have a lot of love. And so Jesus actually called them out on many times, saying that this isn't, you know, the way that the Father, you know, God the Father is like. He's not like that. He's not this kind of exacting guy, and you just do these things, and you can be lifted up, you know, above all the other people who are sinners. No, we're, Scripture and Paul laid it out, the Apostle Paul, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the Pharisees had this kind of, we're like more kind of, we're higher than everybody else. So Jesus was always calling them out. And they were the religious leaders of the day, unfortunately. But this is what one of the, one of the woes to, this, to the Pharisees, this is what Jesus said. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the later without neglecting the former. Let me unpack this a little bit. They were so exacting on tithing. Have you ever tried to tithe like pieces of a spice? Like, you know when you buy spices? Like, like I don't know how many are in there, but they literally were dumping out. I don't know how many would be in there, 20,000? Now, 2,000 of those belong to God. Like, I don't even know how they did it. So Jesus was, like, you are so careful to, all, even the spice, the number of the spices, you would tithe. But you had neglected being merciful. You have neglected so, so many other things. But at this point, it's very interesting to notice that Jesus could have said, you missed out on justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Uh, and don't worry about that tithing anymore. But he didn't say that. It would have been his perfect time to say, I have come, I'm the Messiah, I fulfilled all of this, I'm the tithe of God, I'm the ultimate tithe of God, you don't need to do this anymore. He actually said you should, you should, you should do this, you should have practiced later without neglecting the former, without neglecting tithing, basically. It was a perfect opportunity, actually, in my opinion, for Jesus to set us straight if tithing had ended. Um, in the early church, um, in addition to the scriptures, there was something called the Didache. The Didache was uh, like a discipleship manual. It was the very earliest uh, writings of the primitive church, and what and it had like how to live the Christian life. Basically, it was like the first Bible study. Or for those of you who are familiar with Every Nation, we have these books called the Purple Book, Biblical Foundations, One to One. It's like the first version of that that the early primitive Christians used called the Didache. And famous author and pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul, uh, some of you who are 
you know, study a lot in, in these areas, you would have known that name, R.C. Sproul. But here's what he said, Dr. R.C. Sproul. He said, in the Didache, written at the end of the first century or early second, there's a significant amount of material on the question of supporting the work of the kingdom. The tithe principle is clearly communicated in this work, showing us that the primitive Christian community continued the practice of the tithe. Okay, enough on tithing. Let's go to level two. Offerings. What's an offering? Offerings are special gifts that we give beyond our tithe, uh, our tithe to the local church. Its offerings allow the believer to contribute freely and directly to the needs that they feel connected to. Sometimes it comes through the church. An example of an offering was uh, the Ukraine war broke out, and we're still raising funds for Ukraine relief. That's an example of none of that goes to this church. 100% of it uh, goes out. So it's uh, it's an offering. Some of some of you might support a missionary or a campus missionary. I know Sheila and I have over the years. It's something above the tide that we can just put money to whatever needs that we feel led to. Or, uh, you know, maybe there's just someone in the church that needs help and you, you're aware of it and you just give to it. It's an offering. Um, there's many examples of that. Let's go to level three. Now we're getting uh, deeper. There's something called sacrificial giving. And this is when the Lord challenges you to give when it'll take much faith and trust in the Lord. Uh, remember when these scriptures, everything belongs to the Lord? The tenth is just a way of us recognizing that 100% of what we have belongs to the Lord. It's just a sign. It's a token. Um, it's like a wedding ring is a token of a greater thing. It's a token of a covenant between a husband and a wife. The ring isn't everything. It's a token. That's how the tithe is is part of it. It shows our faith and our trust in the Lord, and but it's really our heart attitude should be everything belongs to the Lord. And if that's true, then the Lord uh, may ask us to sacrifice from time to time, and we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. So let me illustrate this in my life. Um, it, it, I don't I don't like to do this in some ways, but I also feel like it's important to, for you to see what this might look like, sacrificial giving in real life, okay? So um, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. But um, when we were first uh, married, Sheila and I, in Vancouver, we had a dream that one day we would own a home. And so uh, we opened up a savings account. There was a savings passbook, and we put house savings on it. And I happened to get a little handyman job. I'm kind of handy with lots of different things in the apartment. They needed someone just fix railings and different things. I remember first time I got $20 and I tied $2 and I put $18 into this uh, home savings account. And then over the next years, we'd get a tax uh, return. Sometimes we'd put some of that money into it. And then we moved to Calgary. And the great thing is Calgary houses are a lot cheaper than Vancouver, for those of you who know Canadian real estate. And so we'd been saving for about seven years, and the fund was pretty much enough for us to put a down payment on a house. And our ch new church, I'd quit my job as an optician, we'd moved to Calgary, we'd started this church at the University of Calgary, and we knew that, I mean, it was really struggling, it just had a handful of students and others, and it just didn't look like it was going to go unless we could have an injection of some more funds. And that's when the Holy Spirit said, you know that house savings? Sow that into this church plant. Whoa. <laughs> Not part of it, 100%. And so Sheila and I felt it was the Lord asking us to make a sacrificial gift. And so after seven years of saving for our house, we gave it. 
And that was that. I'll share more later. Another example uh, is that we didn't make a lot of money and in those days, and we thought, how are our kids, we had two at the time, and then Joel came along, three, how are we ever going to like save money for their college or university or whatever to help them out? So we started another bank account called Kids Educational Fund. And what we did is we took the child tax credit that the government gives for having kids in Canada. We used to call it the baby bonus. Uh, <laughs> and we would take that money and then we put it into that educational account. And, it, and I thought, okay, if we just keep putting into it. So we did that. Um, lo and behold, God called us to move from Calgary to Nashville. We were offered a position to help there, but it would be a self-funded role. They said that we might be able to come up with a thousand a month, but you'd have to raise and use your own savings and raise money to come. But we really felt like the Lord speak to us, but we didn't know how we would be able to move, how we would be able to pay for any of this and things. And that's when the Lord said, well, why don't you sow the educational fund into the kingdom? So after, I don't know how many years we had saved, probably 10, you know, we were obedient and we put the kids educational fund towards the work of the Lord and to what we needed to do to follow him. And then when we were in Nashville, things got good. We were able to build up again and, uh, and things were going good. We were having very good salary, and the Lord said, move back to Canada. This was 10 years ago plus. We're like, Lord, like, you know, Toronto's expensive. They don't have any money up there for us. Like, how are we going to do this? And by then, we had started to save for our retirement, uh, retirement savings. Here it's called RSP, and, you know, we had some savings, and we knew that the only way to do is we, I said, we didn't give 100% of it this time, I realized, so I don't want to give, but we gave, we gave all of our regular savings, we emptied all our regular savings. In fact, even for the first few years here, we went into some debt just to do what we felt God called us to do. So those are examples of sacrificial giving in our lives. And I know that many of you have done these sorts of things. Uh, so this isn't like for those of you who are being blown away right now, there's, there's other people in this church that do just what we did when the Lord asked them to. Um, so level three, and this is a level, this is where you fix your personal budget, the amount you'll live on, and everything beyond that you give away. This is something I have not done. I don't feel, I don't know if I'll ever do it. I'm not sure. It basically means cap your income. And if the Lord blesses 100% of what is on top of that, you're going to give. So that's called the financial Finish line. Okay, so everybody take a deep breath. Because <sighs> I want to talk to you right now on the results from giving. You see, when you look at that verse in Malachi, can you see the tension of it? You know, God comes on really strong. Well, a man got robbed me. You know, you're robbing me, this, that, and the other. Then he talks about bringing the whole tithe. And then he talks about, and I'll rebuke the devourer for you, and I'll open up the windows of heaven for you. I'll, I'll bless you so that there's no more. You see that kind of, you see the strength and then the blessing, you know, the obedience and then the blessing at the end of it. So I want to talk about results from, from giving. First of all, first result from giving is spiritual protection. You know, when we give, it, it just somehow contradict or, or counteracts the temptation of materialism and consumerism. Um, here's what Jesus said about the deceitfulness of riches in Mark 4, 18 and 19. He said this, 
and others are those whom, uh, and others are the ones sown among the thorns. He's talking about sowing the wor word of God. It's a famous parable of Jesus, and it said. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitful riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Jesus was talking about one of the things that can choke the word of God in our lives is the deceitfulness of riches and the desire uh, for other things. I believe that when we're generous and when we give, it really helps us keep focused uh, on what's important and not get caught up in materialism. Materialism is just thinking that material things are the things that are going to make you blessed and happy. That's what materialism is. It's putting too much emphasis on it. Consumerism is the idea that if I'm feeling down, I can just go to Starbucks and that coffee will make me feel good. Like just by consuming something. I'm not saying I go to Starbucks. Well, I go to Tim's more, but anyway, uh, but there's, but but it's 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 a it's a spiritual thing. It's 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 not just an act of purchase. It's like I'm looking for this purchase to give to send off an orphans into my brain to make me feel good. That's that's the idea. But I want to tell you the absolute danger uh, of setting our sights on money more than God. Um, as I said, I have deep roots in Canada. My wife uh, does as well, her family. And, um, you know, Canada, you, for those of you who are newcomers to Canada, you think of Canada as a very rich and wealthy nation. But the early settlers who came here, from the indigenous people to the um, early settlers, it was a hard life. They came, yes, they got my Scottish ancestors on my dad's side who came in the mid-1850s to an area near London, Ontario, and then they uh, got a homestead in Manitoba because Canada was giving away free land for homesteaders to come over from Europe. But they had nothing. They literally had to, with their bare hands, you know, and some tools, carve out an existence and pray to God, you know, that the harvest came in and it wasn't destroyed. And they, and so, and they were very, very religious. They prayed all the time. They set up churches all over the country. And it's interesting, after World War II, Canada began to boom. I mean, it, it kind of came out of the Great Depression of the 30s, and then in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s, Canada became very wealthy. One of the most prosperous nations in the world, actually. But here's, I want to show you a chart of church attendance during the same time of the economic boom in Canada, I want to show you the um, church attendance in Canada, if we have the next slide. So this is weekly church service attendance from 1946 to 2015. I don't have any data that goes past that. So if you look at the red dot, that is this is people when you ask them, have you attended a religious service in the last seven days? That was the percentage, as high as 68% at one time in Canada. And the blue dots are weekly attendance. So these are just people who said, do you go to church every week? Every week. And that's the blue. So if you look at Canada's economic boom, it goes up and to the right. And their spirituality goes the exact opposite. And to me, that is really sad. Out on Bloor Street, one of the biggest churches in Canada is being torn down and going to be probably a condo like the rest of them. 
save the facade because of the architectural controls and that's it. Every time. Every time I see that, it just is a reminder. How far this nation is from God. Um, and I pray that God will bring a revival. I pray that God will bring people back to their senses that a bigger house and a better car and all of this is not going to save them. In fact, it's the opposite. Here's just a word for those of you who are newcomers. Canada, chances of your kids serving God as adults is low. But if they see you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, not being caught up, in materialism and consumerism and any other ism. If they see you, you know, I strayed from God as a youth, but one thing I saw about my parents is their tithing, their giving. My dad literally turned down promotions because it would take him away from his service at church on Sundays because the new jobs would have some weekend work. He just kept turning them down. That I'd rather have less money and be a man of God. Uh... And I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but I watched my dad do that. And what it did is, like, I could run from God as a teenager, but when I saw that, that example, it was always ringing in my, the back of my mind that I know how to live right. I know how to... And so I honor my dad in that, making decisions uh, like that. So giving and being kingdom-first people can actually help be a spiritual protection. Does this make sense to you guys? Like this can be a spiritual protection. Giving can be a spiritual protection. And then secondly, uh, treasure in heaven. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 to 21. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It doesn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. You put your treasure there first, and then your heart will follow. And one quote that I love from, uh, who teaches a lot on this subject, uh, Pastor Randy Elkhorn, he said this, the greatest deterrent to giving is the illusion that the earth is our home. See, folks, you're not going to get everything you want out of life in this life. God promises a great and mighty life that is to come. Yes, there's creation. Yes, there's the fall. Yes, there's redemption. But I'm telling you, there's coming a day with a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more sickness, where there will be more no dying, where there will be more, no more conflict and wars. And we're living for that and the return of Christ. We know that we have to be in the world now, but we have to set our projection on something greater than now. This is just a warm-up act. 
We want to do the warm-up act as best we can, but there is something so much better coming for you and for I. And it's the new heaven and the new earth, and I can't wait. In conclusion, I was about to share a message like this uh, in our church in Calgary, and we landed there Friday, and Friday night I woke up in the middle of the night thinking about a little bit about the message, but I felt like the Lord speak to me. And I was, I was thinking, he just said this word. He said, or, or he didn't say my name, but I just, a thought in my mind. Don't think I'm hearing voices. I mean, the Holy Spirit gives you impressions sometimes, okay? If you've never had that, you need to. <laughs> and I just had this impression from the Lord that he said, I'm looking for stewards that I can bless and increase. I'm looking for biblical stewards that I can bless and increase. And then, and then I was thinking about the parables of the talents. One of Matthew 25, it talks about Jesus gave a parable where he said he, there was a landowner and he went away and then he gave his servants one five talent. That's an amount of money, by the way. Uh, didn't mean one could sing and dance. And no, it didn't it meant it, talents were money. Five, another one, three, and another one, one. And he said, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come again. And I want you to be faithful with those five, three, and one. And the one with five was faithful with it. He did the godly things. He, he did the things that would increase, cause increase. And the same with the one with the three. And then it said the one who had one, uh, he just buried it. He wasn't faithful. And so when the landowner came back, the guy who had five, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Here's five more. And to the one who had three, who had doubled it to six, or uh, to six, he said, well done, enter into your joy. But then the one who only had one, he said, I knew you were a hard man and I was afraid. And he said, so I just buried the one. And, and he said, you wicked and lazy slave, you know, servant. You should have at least invested it. I could have had some interest. And when I think about that, about what the Lord was impressing on my heart in that scripture, it brings the Lord no pleasure to people who have the one talent and bury it. What brings God pleasure is actually when we are faithful stewards and that he can increase us. So my question for us, and as we take communion in a minute, is this. Do you want to be one of those people that the Lord can bless and increase? He's looking for them. He's looking for them right in this room. You know, I shared those testimonies about giving the house funds. Do you know that on one weekend, we were back at our family and visiting friends in Vancouver, and on one weekend, God gave us the full down payment of a house, and we bought our first house in Calgary. You know, when we gave the educational account, we didn't know how our kids were going to get an education. Our eldest son has gone through school, law school. LLM is now a corporate lawyer in New York. Our next daughter, master's degree, Vanderbilt University, um, doing amazing well in the field of education. Our next one leads worship and, <laughs> and also does very well in his 
career in architecture, and our youngest is studying mathematics at the University of Waterloo. You know what? God has taken care of our kids' education. He took care of our kids' education. And, you know, giving away savings and retirement and things? We don't know yet. <laughs> but do I look worried? I'm not. I'm not worried. Because God's been faithful. You know, we sang that song, All My Life You Have Been Faithful. That's just not like a gimmick. When we sing that from all of our hearts, it's because we really feel it. We really feel the faithfulness of God, and I feel the faithfulness of God. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.